You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Clock Strikes Midnight, a podcast for discussion of fun, weird films and TV shows to watch late at night. I'm your host, Jay, and tonight I'm joined by a good friend of mine, the illustrious Dan, and we will be discussing his recommendation of 2011's overlooked Norwegian-language classic, Headhunters. So turn out the lights, draw the shades, cuddle up in your favorite blanket by the speaker, and listen for those 12 bells as we discuss tonight's watch. Dan, it is outstanding Hello. to see you. Well, here you were on a podcast, right? To, to hear yeah. you again. How have you been? I'm good, man. Good to see you, too. I've been, uh, been doing real well down here. Yeah. So for, uh, for the listen- listening audience, uh, a couple of things about Dan and I. We, uh, we met uh, doing a play, a Neil Simon play, up here in Michigan. And in, in oh, yeah. short order, became really, really good friends and had a lot in common. Dan's just a very cool guy and, and an excellent oh. actor. Oh, you are. Just own it. <laughs> Try just it. own it, brother. Interestingly, while we were rehearsing this play, uh, the seeds of this show uh, were discussed. Like I think, I think I remember right. bouncing this off you, like you backstage saying, "Hey, I got this idea." Yeah, you know, Ghostlight. Maybe we can talk about movies or something on a podcast and i just remember you being really uh highly supportive and, and thinking that was a oh, cool I've idea been, been dying to do this at some point yeah so i'm excited to be here as a guest finally doing this well i mean it's a long time coming and at the time we were i was running through ideas and dan would give me his advice back and i was looking for artwork because you have to have that up on the podcaster or websites and so forth and so this is actually sort of more the proto, the first run that should have been before I actually kicked it off last year. I should also tell you that <laughs> welcome to my biannual con- uh, uh, podcast <laughs> because my last episode was released about a, well, I guess it was about a year and a half ago. Uh, yeah. But this is a big deal. It only comes once every two years. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Enjoy it, guys. Uh, holy it's cow, last. man. It's worse than damn Santa Claus. <laughs> but the cool thing is that we, we've been talking about coming up with this movie pretty much since then. Was this the first one that you that you recommended yeah, to me so for discussion? I had listened to your first episode way back, and you had asked me to be the next guest, and I was super psyched. So I started thinking about movies, and this came up as one I, – I, we'll probably get into it, but I saw it in 2013 or something, a long time ago, 2016 maybe – and it just kind of stuck with me as the vibe of the show that you were doing. I thought it would be because you did that Danny Boyle film on your first episode. 
Yeah, I think that was actually that was Shallow Grave. That was our second episode. Yeah, but there's only but you had a 50-50 chance, man. There's only been two so far. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think that just kind of jogged this out of my brain as like a a weird movie I saw that just surprised me at every turn that I really wanted to talk about with you. Yeah, well, I'm glad because um, I'll well, let me read the uh, the brief description of the film and and we can just mention you know give credit where credit is due and we can talk about who's in it who directed and so forth so imdb says this is the description and and I th- well we'll talk about the description too but it says an accomplished headhunter risks everything to obtain a valuable painting owned by a former mercenary that's one way of putting it uh, yeah. what Come on, you've watched the movie. Does that have well, I mean, in in the most indirect way, maybe, does that have anything to do with this movie? On the most shallow level, yeah, <laughs> I think that is a one sentence description of what happens in this movie. But as you know, it is so much more than that. And that is a question that I want to talk about later is how best to sum this up in one sentence if you had to. And this is a movie that is good by the benchmark of how difficult that is to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when I read that, I'm just going to be straight with you. Um, I, it looked it looked cool. I watched the trailer. Trailer looked cool. Uh, by the way, to all, this is an English language podcast for the most part, unless I get a Spanish speaker on here at some point because I speak reasonable Spanish. But um, it's it's a Norwegian language film. I think they also, if I could, you, I could be wrong. Now help me out here. I think they might also speak a little bit of um, Danish and a little bit of French. I could have sworn I heard some of that in there. Well, I'll just let you know, you know, real Dan heads out there know that I have a degree in linguistics from Eastern Michigan University, but I couldn't tell you what I was hearing in that movie. No idea. I assumed it was mostly uh, one language, but um, a lot of those uh, Northern European languages just kind of are so similar that I don't have the ear to tell the difference. Yeah, it is. Uh, if you're not practiced in it, it does sound uh, yeah. interestingly uh, similar to one another. So yeah. actually, so that means from now on, we're going to have to call you Professor Dan. I do have a bachelor's, so pretty much. Well, you know, teaching me stuff. Uh, the director was uh, Mortem Tilden. Uh, he is uh, T-Y-L-D-U-M. Uh, he's Norwegian fellow. And he does mostly Norwegian film, but he, like the American audiences, might be familiar with his 2016 film *Passengers*, with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. Now, I admittedly have not seen it. Didn't see it. Yeah, but he did. I've heard good things, and he so he did make sort of the crossover to English language stuff too. And then, well, yeah, yeah sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, uh, I was just gonna say. Um, so for and I think that's why this was under my radar, Dan, because I honestly I don't go seeking out necessarily seeking out Norwegian language language films. Right. Yeah. Same. I don't remember exactly how I came across it. I think it was just it popped up on Netflix as a recommendation. I recognized one of the actors. The plot summary that Netflix gave was more interesting than what you read on IMDb. Don't remember exactly what it was, but I don't think that would have caught me because what you just read on IMDb almost sounds to me like a Liam Neeson movie (laughs) or something. Uh, But he also, this director also did Imitation Game. Um, 2014? Okay. 
Isn't that him? I believe one best director for that. Let me find out. Um, to I have a note here that says that. I hope I got that right. But well, it's all right, man. We'll figure surprised. it out. I got to tell you though that yes, he did. Imitation Games 2014. Good call. Yeah, I was surprised. That's a big deal. That was a big one uh, that obviously got some attention from fans in the Academy. Yeah. You know what? I have to admit, brother, I have not seen that one either, so I'm way behind the ball on this one. But I got to tell you, when I read the the IMDb summary, I, much like you, I I wasn't, (laughs) I didn't know exactly what to expect, but it it felt like a Norwegian knockoff uh, Thomas Crown affair. I put that in my notes. I'm like, okay, here's here's the. T- I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, here's the Thomas Crown stand-in, and uh, he's gonna get the he's gonna get the goods, and uh, and and it's gonna be a slick heist movie, you know. Which I would love. I do love a heist movie, and there's a lot of that in here. The pacing and the music of it. Yeah. There's parts where I thought it almost felt like this could be a minor Bond sequence if Bond was a small Norwegian guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he uh, well, that, actually, that brings us to sort of the next point, which was um, so. How did you? So you, it sounds like your awareness of it just came from stumbling across it on Netflix, right? Yeah, my girlfriend at the time, this is years ago, and I were it's just a weeknight. We were watching something. We were trying to find something to watch, and you know, we're just going through the Netflix options, and that came up, and. Didn't know what to expect, you know, I turned on a movie, realized I had subtitles, but that makes you pay attention, right? So I stuck with it. And I we were just blown away. I was I could not like this is a movie where Okay, have you ever seen the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yeah, I love that movie. Shane Shane Black. Yep. One of my favorites. That's Shane probably Black, Val Kilmer's Buddy Cop Val movies. Kilmer's favorite role. I think well, I take it back. I take it back. He was he was pretty damn good in Tombstone. Right. Well, they had fun doing that. You can tell. I listened to the director commentary track. It had Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Shane Black. Mm -hmm. And it was hilarious. I don't usually listen to commentary tracks that much. But one thing that Shane Black talked about is that when they were writing it, what he wanted to do was every time and every moment when they asked, if you asked the question, what's going to happen next, they wanted to put in something that you would never come up with to make it unpredictable at every turn. I kept thinking about that in this movie because that is how this works and that's why I love it is that every time something happens, you, you're you not ready for it. Yeah. And every time you think somebody has hit the bottom or that is fin- they're out, finally out of a situation, you're just blown away again. It's insane. It's so fun. Yeah. No, you're right. There's no, there's, there's no way to it's, – it's highly unpredictable and, and mm-hmm. it poses as – a uh, movie that's going to be predictable, at least in my book. So without right. going into the whole thing, just the, the overlying story is that there's this, uh, he's a high-powered, uh, um, this is played by um, Axel Henney, I think his name is, uh, I, who I had never seen before. Apparently he was in 2015's The Martian. Okay. Uh, as a, as a, yeah, I don't feel like I've seen him before or since. Yeah. It was a minor role, I think, and I, I'm going to have to go back and see if I can see him. I, I thought the guy was brilliant and knocked it out of the park in this, to be fair. I think all the yeah. actors were excellent. In fact, there were smaller parts, but there were no small actors, mm-hmm. as it were, in this movie right. because they did outstanding work. But he he basically is this uh, – he's a high-powered headhunter for, like, high-power high, uh, high power, uh, positions, 
Um, he's not just a, a headhunter, like random job finder. He kind of only deals with the elite multi-billion dollar companies who lose their CEOs and that kind of a thing. But he, he's constantly overcompensating because basically mostly because he started off as a poor guy and he was kind of short and it's implied he doesn't think that he's particularly good looking, especially with uh, when you compare him to people like... Uh, Jamie Lannister. Like, like, like Jamie Lannister <laughs> before he became Jamie Lannister. At least I think. The, I think that's the so. So, yeah, Nikolai Kosterwaldo plays sort of the what looks to be like he's just going to be some kind of a shill or a mark. But it, but it turns out to be, like you said, much, much different. So much more. So, so Axel Henney is basically has this. And this is where you think it's going to be a heist movie. He is this. He got this position by projecting that he's confident, but in order to afford his super uh, massive mansion, and in his mind anyway, to keep his gorgeous, artistic, highly intelligent, very tall uh, wife, um, Diana, he. Well, <laughs> It's kind of ingenious. He he basically tells uh, while he's interviewing folks, he finds out about their personal habits. Um, yeah, he's casing them. Yeah, and then he says, "We're going to set up a meeting with the rest of my people tomorrow." And while while the prospects at the meeting with the other folks, uh, he goes to their house and and rips off precious pieces of art. Right. With the help of this uh, his friend uh, Ova. Love Ova. Oh, such a good character. Ova's great, movie. man. What was one of the first thing? One of the first scenes we meet. Uh, it's not maybe the first, but one of the first scenes. I love this scene. Is when. Uh, so oh, I forgot to mention. So, Axel Henney's character's name is Roger Brown. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. That seems like a distinctly American name, almost. I wonder if they were just trying to make that easier in translation, or if that's or if that's just an Americanization of the name. Yeah, or, or it, yeah, it seemed distinctly. But also, whatever, maybe his name is Roger Scandinavian. Brown. On the other hand, maybe <laughs> yeah. we could have, you know, maybe there are several Scandinavian Roger Browns listening as we speak, upset yeah. with this, and they want us to let us let us. If know. you're upset, it's the most uh, common name Jason. in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> if you're upset, email. Uh, let let them know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm going to give them your personal email address, buddy. So yeah, I'll drop that at the end. <laughs> so. Uh, so his name is Roger Brown, uh, and he, he's, yeah, he's just upset that he's five foot six, and the only way he can afford to make, he doesn't make as much as the headhunter to, to support his lavish lifestyle and, and, and what he thinks to be, apparently considers to be a, a wife who wouldn't think much of him if he didn't make that kind of money or didn't have that kind of prestige. So he steals these, this artwork. Yeah, he basically is asking them questions during his headhunter interviews, like, do you have a wife? Mm -hmm. That's important that you have a family for this position. Do you have a dog? Right. Uh, do you have a maid? Which all sound like questions that he's trying to vet you to see how yeah. rich you are, basically. But he is casing the joint, trying to figure out when nobody's going to be right. home. I also think it's weird. It's funny that he's he's feels like he's like he can't afford this lavish lifestyle. Here he is recruiting people who make millions a year. He finds them for the company, yet he himself is probably making peanuts compared to them. Right. It's an interesting sort of almost parasitic position that he's put in where he has to leech these people from other companies and in return 
he's just in their shadow for the rest of his life. Yeah, and I think that's part of the character development, too. It sort of gives you his arc a little bit, or at least the beginning of his arc, where he feels as if he's he acts superior and or, well, certainly superior to his first interviewee, who he almost mm-hmm. blows off. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but then... Um, but then you start to realize that he's, you know, compared to what that the interview he's making, he he's trying to he's stealing art to keep up. Right. And it could be that kind of heist movie where he just sort of he asks the questions like you said, he'll ask, do you have children? Uh, do they go to school? Uh, how far is the school from the house? Uh, how often are they homesick? You know, he, <laughs> he asks these questions that he's just vetting how easy he can get into their home and steal. Yeah. <laughs> but he and that but that could be it you know that could have been the whole the whole movie right he's an art thief and like he says in the beginning eventually one of two things will happen you either find a piece that's so valuable you don't have to do it anymore or you get caught yeah and that's sort of set up as like this is we're going to see one of those things happen and it's probably not going to be the good ending right so we're just waiting for things to go wrong for him from the beginning yeah so at least in that regard we got it right but basically everything else I thought it was going to be a bunch of like he's going to have to Spider-Man in the corner to avoid getting detected it's going to be a bunch of close calls uh, I thought maybe he would steal something that like some crazy kingpin would do nothing to stop at nothing to get it back including killing his wife and burning his house and stuff right. I don't know those are the kind of things I had running through my head but do you want to take us into the first hard left that this movie makes <laughs> Because this movie <laughs> well, takes so many damn turns. It's, you know, this is like the uh, that, that bikers rode the dragon. It's kind of like so many curves. Yeah, exactly. So I think it does sort of take on that predictable plot that you're talking about, right? So he eventually, again, and how, how much detail do we want to go into with the plot? So he his wife runs an art gallery. Roger's wife runs an art gallery. She introduces him to... Kloss, Jamie Lannister, who is a recently retired telecom executive. And she mentions to Roger that he has a priceless piece of art in his house. Kloss apparently inherited an apartment from his aunt that came with a very expensive original painting that is reportedly worth maybe millions. Yeah, like the Roger- cool backstory. Like she had it's like an affair with a German officer... Yeah, and then she, uh, when she was hooking up with a Nazi back in the day, yeah, and, and got this from the this. secret Nazi riches, and then when the Allies were approaching, she stowed it very carefully, and now it's so Roger yeah. can't resist. He tries to woo Klaus under the guise of trying to recruit him to the telecom company that he is recruiting for, which I believe is called Pathfinder. Yeah, Klaus just retired from a company called Hote. Klaus says, not interested, I retired, I'm done with that. He's playing hard to get, as we will find out later. Yeah. Roger a brilliant is really job trying of it to too, case... by the way, right? I mean, he's... Right. You, know, you never suspect this... that anything's going on with this guy, except for him being super suave, a little arrogant, and really good looking. Kind of like Jamie Lannister. Right, he retired at, like, what, 32 years old, apparently. He's got to be super wealthy. He's got a very nice apartment that he's completely renovating. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they so played it off like, um, well, at this point in the film, we we're we're to understand that his company Hote 
had been sort of hostily overtaken by an American company called, called Amtech. And that yes. Pathfinder uh, is looking to hire a new CEO. That's the, the competitor to Hote, so that an American takeover wouldn't, won't be possible. Yeah, there are some sort of like logistical details with the politics of businesses that I got lost in the first time I watched this. But yeah, essentially, he's trying to headhunt him to be the new CEO of Pathfinder. He plays a little hard to get. Roger eventually gets Klaus to go to lunch with him where he does his typical casing, finds out that he will be that that Klaus will be gone for a day to go pick up his dog <laughs> to bring yeah, to town. Yeah, his dog in quarantine in uh, in um, in Denmark. So he <laughs> hits up he hits up his boy Ove, who is like sort of a scoundrel that Roger at one point got recruited and hired at a home security company. Right. Apparently, like the home security company for yeah. every single home in Oslo, because this guy like runs basically from home base at what is it Tripoli or something like that? The n- name I of the company, that. something like that. So oh right, yeah. So yeah, so he's so so Ovez basically will turn off the security system so that um, uh, so that Roger can get in and steal the pieces of art. But yeah, he got he, he headhunted uh, Ova into that job. It's a right. win-win. He and then says he that's one of the, the profits, one of the yeah. smartest things he ever did was get him that job. <laughs> so he's able to monitor security cameras, turn off home alarms remotely for Roger, which is what he has him do for Claus's house. He shows up at Claus's apartment, which is stripped down to the studs. Basically, there's just furniture covered under tarps. Finds the painting, slips it out, slips in the reproduction that they had produced for this. And this is a funny moment. Because there's this tension between Roger and his wife, yeah. where he's giving her everything and he's putting his life on the line and his rep- reputation on the line to keep up with what he thinks she wants financially. But what she really wants is a kid, and that's the one thing he doesn't want to give her. So that's a sticking point for them. They getting they get into a couple arguments with it throughout the film. Also, there's a point in the film where Roger lists out his rules for when he's doing his heists, and one of them is do not take any longer than 10 minutes Beyond that, you increase the chances of someone coming home. Not only does he break that rule here, he's got the painting, he's good to go, but he stops and gazes out the window at children on a playground, sort of longingly and regretfully, feeling guilty, I imagine, about not wanting to give his wife a kid. Yeah. He also does another movie trope at this point, which drives me insane, where the criminal, when they're at the crime scene doing crimes, removes their mask (laughs) for no reason. Yeah. Leave that on until you're done, man. Like, you're still there. You're not done. Like, what's the point in wearing it? Yeah. So he does that. He's so moved that he has to call yeah. his wife while he's still in the act of, of burglary. Yeah. Must With just feel off. confident enough that <laughs> Claus is far enough away getting his dog that he won't return. But at any rate, he goes to leave and he hears... Well, actually, no. He's gazing out the window longingly at the children and decides to call his wife. And when he calls his wife, he hears a cell phone ring in the empty apartment. And he finds his wife's cell phone in Claus's apartment. Yeah, indicating that the two of them were having an affair. And suddenly the plot deepens, right? Like, the plot now, has wait become a, a little bit thicker. You know, did, did, yeah. uh, did she set me up? Uh, you know, am I, why is she here? And to be fair, the, the character reason, it's, it's subtle. and they don't, it, Look, this is a thriller, intrigue, mystery, action 
uh, piece. So, but there are dramatic elements, and and it's kind of they don't give it they give it kind of short shrift. But it, it there's a lot of levity too, honestly. Yeah, it's almost like yeah, there's really there's funny black moments. comedic elements here. But I was going to say the. The reason I think he doesn't want the implied reason he doesn't want to have children is because he thinks of it with her is that he thinks of her as a goddess and he thinks of himself as inferior. Like he's 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 you know he's not a rich, not really a rich man without being a thief. He is he's really hung up on his height at being five six, which yeah. apparently for folks in Scandinavia must be really damn short. Uh, I went to Stockholm once. Everybody was statuesque. Okay. And could have walked out of the ads in a high fashion magazine. I gotcha. So, so he definitely feels, I guess here the equivalent would be like under five feet tall or something. Yeah. He's super insecure. Yeah. Well, what is, what, about, for what it's worth, um, I looked up Axel Henny's height. He's 5'8". He's okay. So he's not a really super short guy, at least not by American standards. But He appears small in the movie. Yeah. Which is probably intentional. Yeah, I wonder if they had him in flats or had her in spikes the whole time or something. But yeah, especially around his wife and around... He's just around a bunch of tall, attractive people yeah. for most of the movie. Around his wife and, and Nikolai uh, Kostrualo, he looks um, he, he looks very short. But yeah, he thinks yeah. he's kind of ugly, short, and, and doesn't have much to offer. And I that's the sad part about why I think he doesn't want to have a baby with his wife. Because he just doesn't think that he's worthy of uh, of it. And that is yeah. interesting to me because that seems like the one thing that he would feel would keep her, giving her the thing she wants the most. She's spending all this time giving her things that we find out maybe she doesn't really even care about. But he refuses to give her the child, which would, I think, strengthen their intimacy even more. But he just can't bring himself to do it. He's, he's so insecure in finding this phone and putting together that maybe she's having an affair with this super successful, attractive guy plays into like his biggest fear which is that he's hanging on to her by a thread and one day she's going to figure out that she could do better yeah and richer and he thinks that's what this is yeah just sort of messed up priorities uh but you know you feel for him he, he's like uh you think he's going to be, be like the anti-hero or the antagonist maybe and then slowly but surely he kind of wins you over in these ways that he confronts her about the lost phone, and she kind of blows it off as, oh, yeah, I must have left it at the art gallery, which she recently opened. And then um, the next day, they they have a, a meeting with uh, with um, Klaus, who's with Jamie Lannister, uh, for the interview. And he's so ticked off uh, and upset that he found evidence of their affair that he, that he then, in turn, basically blows Jamie Lannister off. Yeah, he had told them this is all but a guarantee. When they had lunch, he basically said, Klaus was like, let's, let's, not, let's not do the, the banter. I know what you want. Here's my salary. This is what it will take. Roger tells him, done deal. I'll get you in there. We want you. After he finds out about the affair, what he thinks is the affair, he kind of dangles. He takes it away. He tells him, well, uh, it's not guaranteed. We still have to interview other candidates. Right. I also want to mention here that we're talking about Roger being uh, the anti-hero, the underdog, sort of a sad sap. But we need to mention something I forgot, which is that he is also having an affair. And True. So with a, with an important that character. He has yeah. a side piece that they show him having aggressive sex with at one point mm -hmm. and then immediately breaks up with her when she he finds out that maybe she's telling people about them. 
he says, this has yeah. gone too far, we're done. So just something to note, very important, I think, that it's the typical trope of the husband being so sad and victimized when his, he thinks his wife is cheating on him, although he himself yeah. is doing the is same doing thing. That. Yeah, no, this isn't an admiral behavior. Uh, by the way, the, the, um, the mistress's name is Lada, and she's played by a beautiful girl, a uh, Norwegian woman named uh, Julie Olgard. Uh, yeah, I saw her headshot on... Um, I just Googled her recently, and like I didn't even recognize her, her most recent pictures compared to what she looks like in this movie. You know, Beautiful. it's funny, like, so Axel is supposed to be, or Roger, rather, is supposed to be, like, this little schlubby guy, and uh, basically everybody in this whole film is hot. I mean, they all are good-looking. Yeah. Like, every, every <laughs> yeah. single one well, of That's them. what I told you. Scandinavia, everybody's hot. Yeah, everybody's hot like, the, there. the, there's this old, you know, he's supposed to be, like, an old sort of crusty cop guy, and look, he's not he's not the best looking on the whole cast but he's a good looking older guy too i'm like what's are you talking about the lead detective yeah Yeah, well they also make a point of saying that he's actually sort of a media whore he's a big tv guy he's like uh, all about the press and yeah having a media presence so he's so there's some vanity there with that guy yeah no doubt about it uh well, I mean, and, and this is where things sort of really take off in weird directions because uh, I, it's hard. Like you said, how do you summate this in one sentence? We're hardly going to be able to do it in like an hour. because Right. So long story short, he goes through with the uh, – Roger goes through with the um, the stealing of, of – um, I keep wanting to say Klaus. Klaus. It's not Klaus. It's Klaus. I think it's Klaus. Klaus. Yeah. I think that's like a – Danish version or of, of Klaus. Anyway. Klaus and Jason. Yeah. <laughs> he So he goes through with it, finds out about the affair, kind of blows Klaus off in terms of the job opportunity, uh, tells Ova to, to sort of cross the lines with, um, to hide the piece of art. Mostly because he's found out just by hanging out with Klaus that Klaus is a, it's kind of has this badass history, right? He's a mercenary, was like paramilitary, uh, or actually no actual f- full military and he was in um he was basically in gps and tracking intelligence which made him perfect yeah, for, for his company right that's what they talked about at the interview the the fake the fo- informal interview at lunch is his history of being in what is i guess the equivalent of like danish special ops and he he's basically a tracker and an assassin and his experience with tracking technology he took it straight to hote which uh, helped them develop a bunch of really innovative products that made them a lot of money. And he, we, we find out that later yeah, how brutal his military experience really was. Like, they play squash, and he has scars on his back in the locker room. Yeah. And, and he mentions something about this isn't, like, Roger says, I've seen movies. And he's like, this isn't like a movie <laughs> you've ever seen. So, yeah. There's a dark. There's something dark going on in the past. There. I also want to mention real quick that after that, after the moment where Roger tells Klaus it's not guaranteed and kind of blows him off and says basically I'm not going to give you the job, he leaves. Roger leaves work and he's confronted by Lada outside. She's hysterical and is trying to say that she loves him. He has to basically blow her off again. He takes her in the car. He says you got to leave me alone. She embraces him. And he just he gets rid of. Yeah, her. she keeps trying to kiss him, grab his hair, um, just snuggle him, like like forcibly being very affectionate. Extremely like yeah, a forlorn woman just can't can't stand to be without him. Yeah. So we think. Yeah, this is where I was like, oh, okay. Well, there's gonna be 
uh, a fatal attraction uh, relationship in the in this. Right, a lot of red herrings here. Yeah. Like, what's? I thought she was going to say she was pregnant. Right. Exactly. Um, so when he, he he the next morning he so he thinks that that the the so he's basically he's it's set up that he's afraid now of Klaus because he's taken his his art and he doesn't want to be found out. So he sends Ova away with it. And the next morning, he goes out to his garage, and Ova's in this car, dead, with with a syringe. Yeah, he told him. Ova, "You have to take the painting and sell it tonight. We need to get this done immediately." Mm-hmm. So Ova had showed up. We see a shot of him at night pulling up across the street from Roger's house and walking toward his house. Next morning, Roger goes to leave, opens the garage, after having an awkward moment with his wife, who he is convinced at this point is cheating on mm-hmm. him. She doesn't know what he knows. He's He thinks she's in on it, that maybe they're both trying to get rid of him somehow. He goes out to his garage, finds a very dead Ova in the driver's seat of his car, kind of freaks out a little bit. Yeah, with like a syringe sticking out of him. Right. And at this <laughs> moment, his wife walks up weirdly and looks at him in the garage, and he has this moment where like, were you expecting to find me dead here, basically, is what he's thinking. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I just want to make sure you're okay. I want to tell you to have a great day. And she comes up, runs her hands through his hair awkwardly, and he has found that, yeah, he goes to sit in his car, something pricks him in the ass, and he realizes it's like a little poison syringe that was meant for him, but got over. Yeah, and if so far, if you think this stuff is confusing and, and weird so far, <laughs> yeah. just wait. He, ta- he takes yeah. over to the... Uh, to get, to get rid of the body, he takes him to a frozen lake, and he throws the corpse into the lake. This is my favorite part, I think, of the movie. And, and, he throws over his body in the water. Yeah, and he watches it sink. And then, much like Jason Voorhees, Ova comes back from the dead, man, <laughs> splashes out of the water, screaming and thrashing, and it's like he's been revived yeah. by the cold water. Even though I had seen this before, that still blew me away. I forgot about that part, and that genuinely scared me. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? And so, yeah, but this whole part where Ova comes back and is like, he's been, like, mortally poisoned. And he's gagging and dry heaving in the car. He gets him back in the car. Yeah, he does fish making, him out. They're making a break for the cabin. They have this cabin that's that they do their crimes at. It's sort of off the yeah, grid. Yeah, it's like and, the, meeting, the meeting place. Yeah, so he's trying to take this cabin. At this point, he's freaking out. He knows that Klaus is after him. He knows about, he thinks about all the tracking devices that Klaus had mentioned. He mentioned in his interview earlier that they had developed a tracking device that was microscopic beads that could stick on clothes or it could be anywhere and you wouldn't find them. Yeah, nano, nano trackers or something like that. Yeah. So is this where he takes off all his clothes? Almost. And so they go home. And, uh, Ova, okay. So Ova <laughs> keeps. Uh, this is a funny scene too. But even though people um, are shot and killed in it, uh, oh, he takes Ova back. He yeah, takes Ova's back home, here. and Ova's like sick, man. The dude's been poisoned, and and uh, basically Roger says, "Oh, I'll get you some milk." But Ova wants us to go to the hospital. But Roger realizes we're both criminals. If you involve the police in any way, this whole our cover is blown. We're going to jail. Right, you're in and it And so Ova threatens him, and then I don't know if it was accidental or not, but he basically fires a submachine gun at his friend. He has a submachine in gun. In response, uh, Roger, uh, just defending himself, shoots him in the head, Nova's dead. 
Right. I love this part, Ova being, like, basically dying and throwing a tantrum, saying, I need to go to a hospital. And he's just like, Lee, why are you asking me so many questions? I'm dying. You need to take me to a hospital. What is this? I, I thought that's so convincing at that part and also funny in a dark way. He's just like, why, why aren't you taking me to a hospital? No, it's full. You tried to throw me in a lake. <laughs> I'm it's still full alive. black humor, right? Because uh, like he's screaming to go to the hospital, and then he winds up dead because he was aggressive with his gun to get his friend to take him to the hospital. Yeah, Roger goes to get him the milk, finds his, that he stores a pistol in his fridge, grabs it, and then when Ova threatens him and shoots him with a submachine gun, he reflexively pulls the trigger of the pistol he's shooting, shooting Ova in the head and killing him. Yeah, so poor Ova's so dead, and he's got big problems. And he goes out, uh, and I can't remember if he's leaving to figure stuff out, but he goes outside and he sees that Klaus has, has tracked him there somehow. Uh, and so, but, but he, what, what he does prior to leaving is basically he switches, uh, he, drive, he takes his, uh, he takes the out, the outfit of Ova and takes Ova's car. Yeah. He switches yeah. cars and so takes off all his clothes and throws him in the lake. And basically Klaus shows up. We don't know how he knows they're there and is start wailing on the window. We got to talk. And he escapes, Brown escapes, go, drives to the side of the same lake, and basically gets buck naked, thrown off everything he owns. Breaks his phone, throws it yep. in there. He's convinced that anything on it could be a tracking He's changing device. himself completely into Ova now. And there's this, there's this it's kind of a touching moment again that, that's a kind of a throwaway moment, but it's not, where he stops and he's completely nude except for his wedding ring. And he stops and he spins the ring kind of wistfully and... He's thinking maybe about wearing it, and then he realizes that he can't. So finally, he takes it off and he whips it into the water, and that yeah, he thinks his marriage is trash now anyway. Yeah, right. He's, he's convinced his wife is trying to kill him with this guy. And he uh, he he's pursued by by Klaus, so he basically pulls over to seek solace, if you will, in in a random farmers. Was did the farmer know Ova? That's what I want to know. Was the farmer aware of who Ova was? So you're talking about where he goes to hide Yeah, out. because he's being pursued now by Klaus, and he's not quite sure of Klaus's intentions. They seem hostile. This is the... He goes to the cabin. He goes to the cabin that they have. Okay. And when they show up, when he shows up, the the farmer whose land it is, who rents them the cabin and confronts him, and Roger's hysterical, says, I need the cabin. The sleepy, grumpy farmer kind of gives him the third degree about well i don't care what you guys do in there but it's probably unsavory (laughs) i just you know pay me if you use the cabin and don't touch my tractor so that's their regular like third place meeting cabin that they used before that that is i believe yeah that's how he knows ova because ova hangs out there with his russian prostitute girlfriend yeah we skipped right over that didn't we that was fun yeah really great scene Ova color character where he's Roger calls him and Ova's basically naked and having an actual gunfight and giggling with a naked Russian prostitute. I gotta like, be, I gotta be honest, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't kink shame, but and but that looked a lot of looked like a lot of fun. Just dangerous, you know. <laughs> as long as you got your safe word, um, yeah. We're not here to. This is not a kink shaming podcast. Yeah, the trait. So, so uh, long story shorty, it's it just it's a cutaway scene. It, it maybe lasts maybe thirty seconds, but. Brown calls him to make sure everything's set up for the exchange, and it just shows Ova looks kind of concerned about something, and he's completely naked. And we're wondering, yeah. like, what, did he just get out of the shower? He's not wet. What's the deal? And then there's a bunch of gunshots, and they pan over to his uh, to his in-town Russian prostitute girlfriend. Yeah, he's like, oh, Nina's here. Yeah. 
as if that's an explanation for what's happening in the background. <laughs> and they're just they're, <laughs> they're, the they're like shooting blanks at each other, having a grand old time, giggling, and like they look like little kids, little naked kids. It's it's awesome. Yeah, just have yeah. a good time. We ain't hurt nobody. Plenty fun. But um, so that's the cabin. I think that's the same cabin where he shows so up. So Klaus finds him and six uh, basically six a dog on him and running around the property and yeah he's uh he escapes uh he sees him coming um and uh hides in has to submerge himself in actual shit in an outhouse yeah that was that was unique and you could see it coming when he was looking down because he basically he's in the he's in the cabin and he leaves uh, the pistol that he took that shot that he shot over with by accident Uh, well self-defense i guess it was an accident but he he leaves this on the table and uh and and Klaus comes in and, and kind of is suspicious because there's a gun on the table, so he takes it and he thinks he must be around here. Where Roger has run off to the outhouse in the back, and the, he's almost about to get away with it, and the dog starts to notice, barking. A terrifying pit bull. Yeah, big, big feller. I mean, that's probably the big, biggest pit I've ever seen. Attack dog. Yeah. I mean, this thing, when he mentions earlier, oh, I have to go get my dog and bring him to town. We finally meet the dog, and it's not a Shih Tzu. It's <laughs> yeah. a full-on military-trained attack dog. Yeah. So all these all these things about about him. Klaus are now coming to light. Uh, he's like uh, yeah. military, d- deep reconnaissance. Uh, he's a tracker. Um, he has yeah. no remorse. And the dog, his pet, is basically a dog who uh, basically could could rip you limb from limb quite literally i mean I've, i don't think i've ever seen such a muscular dog in film those are scary this, dogs. this dude would would uh i mean cujo would stand no chance let's just put it that way uh look they say there are no bad dogs only bad owners but i'm not putting that well, i was dog gonna say J- jamie lannister's <laughs> a bad owner uh, yeah you see he's got his phone out and we see that jamie Klaus, jamie lannister is <laughs> Live tracking, right? He's live tracking Rogers. He's got a beacon on his phone. So we see that there's a tracking device still on Rogers somehow. And he sees that he's still around. He can see it on his phone. So that's what brings him to the outhouse. Roger realizes it's a do-or-die moment, looks in the just very poorly maintained Portageon toilet. Brown sludge. I mean, absolutely disgusting. Shout out to the props people on this one. Looks very realistic. Yeah. Goes all the way in and... J.V. Lannister comes up and opens the door and peeks in, and we think he's going to see him, but Roger has been smart enough to completely submerge himself <laughs> and breathe through a discarded toilet paper tube. Yeah. That's breaking the surface. I mean, that that's uh, he's uh, he's all in. I mean, literally and figuratively. This is a slumdog millionaire <laughs> moment, if you've seen that. This happens in there as well at some point. Yeah. And, uh, and class realizes he's not in there so he he escapes uh takes off on the farmer's tractor um and is attacked by the dog who he manages to <laughs> impale on the on the tractor i'm not i have to admit i'm not a huge fan of violence towards really any animals in film but it was it's clear that the dog the actor dog was well treated and that the, the although it's realistic that the, it's a rubber dummy dog that got impaled on the on the on the yeah. teeth of the tractor, so it didn't bother me that much. But he, I don't like seeing dogs get killed yeah. either. But I mean, that was just a good joke moment in, in terms of the farmer saying, "Don't touch my tractor," yeah. and then of course he has to touch the. He tractor. touches the tractor. <laughs> He's trying to escape on a tractor. I'm like, dude, Cla- he, and then he leaves on the road on the main road. I'm like, Klaus is going to find you. 
And of course, right. I think he realizes too thing. late that yeah, he's going like ten miles an hour, and he realizes too late that he's being he's being tracked by a car, and it and then basically that he he spills the tractor and and uh, and passes out. But thankfully, the the uh, follower in the car was not Klaus. Ah, just some guy. Yeah, just random some guy who walks good, up and good Samaritan, and he winds up he wakes up in the hospital. Extremely confused Samaritan finding a guy on a tractor. <laughs> Running it off the road and then going to roll him over and realizing he's covered, covered in, in shit. shit. He's got a big, inexplicable, big uh, uniform that has a patch that says Ova on it, and he's like, "What?" And the dog is impaled on the on the edge of the. She's like, "What? <laughs> this is the worst drunk accident I've ever seen." Yeah, uh, but he's he's he wakes up, cleaned up in the hospital, and they're taking care of him. But the cops are there, and he finds out the cops are there because uh, Ova is is the known accomplice or the known. Uh, person who has interaction with the farmer in the meantime klaus has killed the farmer Mm -hmm. for having seen him i presume and so now they think because ova was the only other only one other one that hangs out in that region he must he must be the killer yeah and they think he's ova right and he even they they even ask him and then he says to him yeah uh yep yep i'm ova he realizes they think he's ova because he's wearing all his clothes and he's in a lot of trouble for, yeah, all the property damage and murder that he just com- supposedly committed at the cabin. So they, they plop him in a squad car beneath these huge twin police officers. <laughs> just enormous fat guys. And this is a little bit of levity, too, because, well, we'll get to it. Somehow, though, they say they, they're, they're driving along and they're going to the, to pr- presumably to the prison and uh, to the holding cell and they get a call over the radio that somebody's drunk son stole their their truck again because it's missing and they say oh i see him now they see this sort of big semi with a trailer coming around a, a windy road they said i see him we'll stop him we'll take care of it and then um they get out of the car form like a one car roadblock but then they flash up to the driver of the pickup and rather the uh the semi and it is jamie lannister <laughs> it's Klaus. Yeah, Roger realizes this before anyone that it's him. He's coming. He's trying to tell them he's coming for me. We have to get out of the car. We have to yeah. get out of the car. And the cops are saying, They're "You're like, paranoid. Up. This guy's going to need psychiatric help." Right. What are you talking about? But this is the this Why is the point at which he's you? starting to Roger's starting to realize they really do have nano trackers because I took all my clothes off. They're, they're, he can't yeah, figure he's it like, out. Well, I don't have my cell phone. Uh, there's nothing on me, um, and then. And then we have the collision. The semi just, I mean, this would kill everyone. It it runs over the cop who's standing in the road, just explodes him, slams the car head on, off a cliff, an amazing crash sequence. The car basically lands on its front end at the bottom of a ravine. And we see that Roger has discovered that the best protection in a car crash is two great big fat asses <laughs> Twins. and human airbags they were perfectly yeah. symmetrical big fat he's soft upside guys down on either between side. two dead fat guys <laughs> and somehow he survives he survives that doesn't stop from klaus from coming to check though and this is part, okay this is the only place i take a little bit of uh i, I have to take some exception with the filmmaking because in yeah. order to convince klaus that he's dead he decides that now he reaches over and uh, is it blood or snot or what he he su- Roger he grabs is some, upside he down. He grabs some substance from one of the dead cops and he rubs it in his eye. 
he's trying to make himself look more messed up by the accident, I think. So he's hanging upside down, still held in by the fat guys in his seatbelt, in the middle seat in the back. Klaus walks up, peeks in the, through the broken window at him. He does his best possum in the back. And this is this is a really intense moment. Like he this is this actually had me on the edge of my seat. So Klaus is staring at him. He has to act like he's dead, so he's holding his breath. His eyes are open, but glazed over looking. Yeah. And Klaus knows that he could be pretending, so he stands there for a really long time waiting for him to either breathe or blink if he's faking. Even reaches out he reaches out and touches Roger. To see if he'll blink is what He happened. poked him in the eyeball, man. That's yeah, what I thought. poked him in the eye. And if this were me, I would have broken at any moment. Well, there's a, there's something. Uh, look, I have a little bit of experience with this, and there's something called a blink reflex. That you, it's a re, That's why they call it a reflex, right? You can't help it. But somehow, Roger... Or, oh, you would know all about yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Roger doesn't blink, man. <laughs> so that's why I was wondering, what kind of... Did he salve his eye with something from one of the dead cops enough that... He couldn't feel it, which is, seems really, really unlikely. But anyway, it's almost like poking a dead guy in the eye with a stick a couple times to make sure he's dead. And then finally, class seems, yeah, okay, I guess I guess he's all right, and he takes off. And that bugged me, because I would think he would just be thorough and shoot him. But then I thought, this way it looks like an accident. Or so light him on a fire, gunshot wound, right? Do something. Burn the car, yeah. Yeah. This way, if there's a gunshot wound, it, it, that would look strange. But this way, it's like an, it's an accident. No one can say otherwise. And well, class takes off, uh, and Roger starts to, starts flashing back, and he's realizing, holy cow, Deanna had it, her his wife had his hands all her hands all over his hair. So, he, and we should say to this point, he's got this kind of okay. I'm just going to say it. It's a little judgmental. It's kind of like this. I don't know. It's a. It's kind of a goofy Euro mullet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. fit the guy, and the reason I know this is because he figures it out, or at least he thinks that's what's going on, and he shaves his head right there at the uh, in the ravine. <sighs> Brutal shaving yeah. scene. I mean, if you've ever tried to dry shave oh, your face yeah, with, it hurts. like... Where do you get the razor? Why do you have a razor? I, don't I can't recall exactly. There were some... I think there were some accoutrements <laughs> just, just in the... Razor. Yeah, I know. There were some accoutrements in the... There was a... Like, the cop had a big bag of peanuts in his pocket and i don't know there was a bunch of weird stuff going on but yeah so he's but his hair is like a 90s it looks like the patrick bateman like weird long hair in the back yeah 90s look that guys would have but like maybe that's a european thing yeah it's not a mullet per se but it has that sort of effect and then but this is how you this is where i figured out oh well <laughs> fine they're 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 they basically batting a thousand here because uh, axel many is like a, a really good looking dude when he shaved his head i'm like that's a good looking actor man he just completely changes look. Does he shave his eyebrows too? Uh, I don't remember that part as much, but I do remember he saved the hair because he's now thinking I could use this to lure Klaus to where I. It, he puts yeah. it together. He has a memory of Klaus saying, "We made a tracking device that can be rubbed into hair, and nothing will remove it." Exactly. But it's it's like mud will interfere with it, which is why he loses him for a second when he's submerged in the feces. I think. Yeah. Good point. Right, because you can't. You're not. Uh, transmitting as well from the bottom of the of the porta potty it's yep. really more of an outhouse i guess notoriously bad signal oh yeah i don't want to test it out <laughs> i don't want to be the one to to look at that so uh so he so he's doing a bait and switch yeah. here. <laughs> he so he fi- so he shaves himself and he goes to pretty much the and th- this is kind of a cool wraparound he comes to and this is where i think it's going the route of 
you know, uh, the Spanish Prisoner, and um, what are some other films like? Uh, what's uh, the femme fatale or the 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 ally you think is your ally? He goes back to Lada, his ex mistress because she's the only person he can think to go to and he surreptitiously realizes because she has one of the Hote, um pens from the uh, that that Klaus was carrying that they're in cahoots yeah and so he's faked his death here he's put his clothes on the dead cop whose face got exploded in the mm-hmm. car accident he took his clothes since the cop is unrecognizable they'll just assume that it's who they think is Ove whatever he's dead so he, yeah, he goes to Lada. Everyone thinks he's dead now. He thinks he's safe for now. She goes to pretend she's going to help him. Explains to him that what she tells him is that here's the exposition, this, right? And it's awesome. This is a big plot it's so reveal. Good. Yeah, that yeah. basically we find out Kloss never really retired. He still works for Hote, and this is all a big undercover operation where he was actually luring Roger to him. He knew he was headhunting for CEO of a Pathfinder. He needed to sneak in and become an undercover CEO for for Pathfinder while still working for Hote to steal their technology, whatever, business reasons. Yeah. And that he was blackmailing her to get her to put the tracking device in Roger's hair in that moment where she confronts him in the car. Right, so the fatal attraction moment where she's like, I can't live without you, was her basically infecting him with all these little nanotransmitters to his weird Euro mullet. Which is confusing (laughs) to you, is when I thought back on it, the order of events is they have the interview, Roger blows him off and says, you're not going to get the job. He leaves work like immediately, or maybe an hour or two later. And then Lada's already there, which means that Klaus would have had to immediately contacted Lada to be like, he's going to leave. You need to be waiting for him outside the parking garage. So he had this plan in effect already somehow. Yeah. Well, and I also think it was because, uh, and again, it's a, it's, it's a complex. This is a really cool, complex story. And I, I do think it makes sense, but some of it gets around me. So forgive me for just a second. But, you know, for a while I had to think, wait, why the hell does Klaus either want to hurt or kill Roger now? And I realized it's because Roger was withholding the recommendation for the job. Mm-hmm. So either he's going to he's gonna forcibly, violently strong-arm him into giving him the recommendation, or probably easier, he's just going to knock him off because all the other, uh, all the Pathfinder people that, Ro- that Roger introduced him to at the meeting loved him. Just like he said, he said right. that that interview could not have gone better. I, I need your recommendation. So I guess with the, I think there's even a scene with Roger doesn't show up. So they basically say, well, come on in. Roger's not here, but we'll talk to you about the job. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And so this is. So Lada says she's going to help him. Yeah. She, I'll clean your wounds. I'll be in the bathroom for a second. He finds the pen from Hoat, realizes. And that's when she gives him the sob story about. You know, he, he, I'm a victim, he blackmailed me or he threatened me, I had to just do this to you. And then, after all that, she still tries to kill him. Yeah, that's a brutal scene too. She comes at yeah. him with a kitchen, one of those big butcher kitchen knives. And it, He's this is, this is some good effects, just... man. He doesn't have a shirt on, he cut off his bandages, and she just wails on his back with it, and it it's... It's full frame, so you know there was either some padding to his back or the, or maybe the blade was soft, or I don't know what was going on. Well, it's weird because I have a note here that it must be harder to stab somebody than it looks because <laughs> when she goes to stab him, 
it like glances off almost. She stabs him and it like doesn't go in. It like slips and kind of scrapes him. Mm-hmm. So instead of being like a, a, a fatal stab in the back, he gets lucky and it just kind of is not. It's a it's a, just a kitchen knife. So it doesn't really. It's not sharp enough or whatever, and it doesn't quite work. And it's, it's it is a really brutal scene. It's almost more brutal seeing it that way than it would be if it just went in like screen. It's, yeah, I mean, well, come to think of it, if you watch enough of the true crime shows, like almost invariably they'll find DNA from blood blood drops from the attacker if they attack with a knife because yeah. apparently it's just unwieldy and you wind up cutting like you said, you weird. It goes different directions. You cut yourself by accident. Yeah, and they have a pretty rough, brutal struggle here. Where at one point he's, she's trying to stab him, and he's grabbing the blade of the knife. With yeah, his bare hand, just that whole squeezing you can it, feel and just it. cutting his fingers. Eee. And you're like, oh, that sucks. Yeah, just trying to survive. Eventually ends up on his back and shoots her through the crotch of his pants with the pistol that's in his pocket, which is another yeah. really good gag. I like the shooting. Something also I noticed that is also featured in the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. At one point, Val Kilmer does shoot somebody through the crotch of his pants with a concealed small ah, pistol. So that might, might you know, wait, <laughs> yeah. when, when was uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? What was the year? It was before. 2005. Yeah, this might have been a little nod to that. I wonder, yeah, because there's also another Shane Black sort of thing I caught where Lethal Weapon has a scene where a guy is holding a carton of eggnog and a helicopter shows up behind him in the window and just blasts them away with a machine gun and it shoots a hole through the eggnog <laughs> and his body. Yeah. And there's a point in this movie when he's at Ove's where he shoots the machine gun and it blasts the hole. Oh, blast, the, blast the milk. Holding. Right. You're right. Yeah. Um, just like the eggnog. That was, uh, let's see, what was that back in, in Lethal Weapon? That was Sir Tom Atkins who got shot through the eggnog. Okay. Yeah. Of um, Escape from New York and Night of the Creeps and uh, The Fog yeah. and uh, uh, Halloween night, uh, season, the of the season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. Bless that season man. Of the witch, yeah. I love that I guy. Know. He's the best. I yeah. met him at conventions three times. He is the no kidding. the nicest celebrity I have met. I'm sure there are nicer people, but we'd be hard to find a man. Yeah. One day when you're famous, you'll be like that too. Yeah, I'll be a nice guy. Um, you already are. You can meet me at a convention. <laughs> So, so here's our finale, right? This is kind of a, it's kind of a, so it looks as if all is, like, Roger's done for. Yeah, because at this point, Colossus, we see him go to Pathfinder, and they show up and they go, oh, Roger's taking an unexpected holiday. So either they don't know where he is and they're lying about it, or I, I don't know how, they're, they're probably just trying to cover up his sudden disappearance. Yeah, because they, they, they want Klaus for Pathfinder, because he is clearly the best candidate for the job. Which he knew, which, like you said, is why he was just going to kill Roger yeah. and get him out of the picture. Yeah. So Roger knowingly takes the, the, the hair from the peanut bag that he, that he hid back to Ova's house. We don't know it's knowing yet, but we know he's doing something. We're not quite sure what. And he basically goes back there to cl- clean up any trace that he's been there, and we don't know exactly why. Um, and in the meantime, he's had a rec- kind of a reconciliation with Deanna before he goes. Uh, and she she admits the affair and and seems very genuinely upset by it. Says we fought about having a baby and I was very very upset. And Klaus is a was easy to talk to and he's a handsome man and I made a big big mistake and never ever doubt that I love you. And it sounds very sincere. So it looks like we've put that red. It looks as if we've put that red herring to bed. He learned that she did cheat on him with Klaus, but didn't was not part of the murder plot. Right, exactly, uh, and uh, and he also confesses to her at that point in the film that he's basically been. It's kind of a come to Jesus moment where he says, "Okay, as long as we're telling each other everything, 
uh, I'm yeah. an art thief and I've been stealing for a long time because I'm a shorty and, and I cheated I, on you and too. I cheated on you and I'm a shorty and I'm ashamed of myself and I'm not very proud of uh, my height nor my lineage nor uh, my ability to provide for you and she gives him the classic doesn't say it but so in so many words says you're a real dumbass I love you for exactly the way you are mm-hmm. uh, and then he says I have to do one more thing and that's when he sort of takes the hair to lure Klaus away. Before he does, though, we get one last little piece of intrigue where Deanna actually, right after all this admission, she goes right back to Klaus's apartment, presumably to carry right. on the affair. Right. Uh, and um, very confusing. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute, is she is she is she or is she not? It, was this just all an act? Because I'll tell you. A woman, aside from being a beauty, by the way, holy moly, let's just stop for two seconds to recognize the beauty of that <laughs> actress. Uh, I, her name is uh, Sinov Makoti Lund, and uh, a Norwegian woman who looks to looks to me, you might disagree, she looks to me like they took the most physically beautiful parts of, of Grace Kelly and combined them with the most beautiful parts of Kira Sedgwick. And yeah, that's what that's she fair. looks like to me, if you straightened her hair. Yeah, I mean, there's, you can see, I, I was convinced I had seen her in something before because she sort of just has a lot of, like, attributes of famous, blonde, tall women in Hollywood. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, I, I, I was like, and I think there's pictures I've seen of her where she reminds me of Sharon Stone. Yeah. Uh, Charlize Theron. Like, she's, yeah, there's just, she's, she's yeah, that. She's got a she's little bit of a, stable a of tiny bit of Bo Derek type. vibe to her from the 70s. Yeah, she's a, she's a 10. She's a 10. She's a yeah, model. I'm no, sure she has a modeling career. She's got the modeling career. She's an artist. She seems very suave, sophisticated, but also very grounded, cool, affectionate, and lovely, and believable. And I kind of dig it when, you know, because clearly she wasn't just cast because she was... Part of the reason she was cast was because she's so attractive. But that's not the only reason. This woman acts really well. Good actress. Yeah, she's not like your typical femme fatale at all in this. She's portrayed very much as like a kind genuine woman who goes from back and forth between being like clueless about stuff but also maybe then being you're wondering if that's all an act and she's actually five steps ahead yeah back to being like tender and genuine yeah and 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 you have to wonder how much of that is through roger's perspective because his whole perspective is if i don't keep up this front this woman's gonna leave me you know, mm-hmm. like we talked about before. So it gets pretty complex. So she goes to, uh, she goes back to Klaus's apartment, presumably to uh, re-engage in the affair. And, uh, and Roger goes back and starts cleaning all traces that he was in Ova's apartment, cleans it away, cleans it away. And as you... Yeah, that, yeah. you mentioned the hair thing, the hair in the bag of peanuts. This was a confusing part that it, it is important. I didn't quite follow it the very first time I saw it, but when he gets in the car accident, he shaves his head, he takes a bag of peanuts out of one of the fat guy's pockets, stuffs all the hair in the bag, puts it back in the fat guy, fat corpse pocket, mm-hmm. so that when they take everything to the morgue, Klaus will see that that's that the where body is supposedly in the his body is, yeah. where it should be. Right. But he has to go... Then he goes to the morgue to retrieve those peanut bag hairs. Yep. So that, and we're not sure why, but it's clear that he's now, because he's, he's off his radar, but now he wants to get the, the hair to be moving on the radar again to Klaus's attention. Yeah. And he takes him to So he's cases. planning something, we just don't know what it is. 
Right. Uh, so, and sure enough, Klaus uh, leaves his tryst, his tryst with uh, Deanna, with Roger's wife, and and sneaks in and into Ova's uh, ca- their their mutual cabin, and and basically at gunpoint says, "What are you doing? Why? You clearly summoned summoned me here on purpose. Why did you do it?" Ova's corpse just still sitting there. The bullet Ova's chilling just in been the been there the whole time. <laughs> he, Not quite yeah. sure how many days have even passed at this point. Maybe just one. He's blue, just yeah. hanging out, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and and then Klaus kind of starts to taunt him and say, "Well, Deanna wants me, and uh, she came back to me just now, and uh, she doesn't want you. So uh, I'm gonna if you don't, if you don't tell me why you." You, you summoned me here, I'm going to shoot you in the stomach, and that way you're going to die slow. If you tell me why you summoned me, I'll shoot you in the head, and it'll be painless. He's just dripping smug in this part. He's yeah. sitting there, and he's, he's saying, you think you, you think you can get away with this, Roger? Yeah. What, you think you love your wife? Well, I have to tell you, she loves me. Yeah, it's, it definitely is. We, a, have a, we have a date tonight. He's sitting there resting his head on his pistol like yeah. a little it's, innocent. It's definitely a curiosity killed the cat moment, though, because... I. Unless I don't know what he thought, he definitely saw the 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 fibers on the move, the microfibers on the hair, but he didn't have to go after him. He was curious. He, I think, needed to know that Roger was out of the picture was dead for sure, or, because yeah. Roger could reveal everything to someone, even if it meant risking his own crimes. At this point, he has to tie up the loose ends. So he sees the hair on the move. He sees the tracker on the move, which is the hair in the peanut bag. Mm-hmm. He has to figure out what Roger thinks he's doing. He needs to take him out once and for all. Yeah, and what he finds is Roger trying to supposedly clean up his murder of Ove. And this is where Klaus says this is over once and for all. And goes to unload his pistol into Roger. Yeah. And he fires, but, like, in a row, he fires about four blanks. Right. And <laughs> this is where uh, yet another evil plan is revealed. Yeah. And Roger shoots him in the knee. Roger with, shoots him in the knee. With poor Ova's uh, submachine gun. Which is still sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is a really confusing moment where we're trying to figure out what the hell happened. And this is where Roger says, you just proved to me that my wife does love me. Otherwise, why would she have listened to me and done what I said and put blanks in your gun? And I love this line delivery where he says, he's speaking in, he's speaking, is it, he's speaking Norwegian? What are they speaking? Yeah, he's speaking Norwegian, yep. And then, but he goes, how do you say it in Danish? Blanks. Blanks. <laughs> I love that line delivery. Uh, so he's tricked him. He's tricked him, and his wife is in on it, so we figure out they've cooked up this plot to try to stay two steps ahead of Klaus. Uh, he goes, Klaus goes to take one desperate last reach for the pistol because there's no telling how many blanks she managed to put in. Mm-hmm. He grabs it, manages to get off a bullet, I think. Uh, maybe, but I think it was. Or does I he think shoot it's him another first? blank? And uh, yeah, and, and Roger ends him. And what's cool is you find out, like in the, in the after reveal, that Ova was a bit of a uh, he's kind <laughs> of an exhibitionist, a little bit of a perv. Again, no kink shaming, but he had above his bed, down towards the foot of the bed, so that you couldn't see him, but you could see everybody in front of the bed, which is where Klaus was had been shot and was firing back. 
uh, a video running with a straight feed to the security center where he worked <coughs> in Tripoli. So these, all these security guards are watching basically Klaus come in, fire a bunch of times, get shot in the knee, and then get killed. Well, yeah. Roger uh, had planned this, knew about this, and basically sneaks around the blind spot of the camera and gets out. And he and he uh, and he's basically set it up for the the favorite son of Norway police officer that um, that actually Klaus and and Ova and Lada were somehow all involved with the art thefts, and they got greedy and and offed one another. And so he's he winds up kind of being free and clear. Yeah, because what they'll find when they show up, when the cops show up, they'll find Ove's corpse in the bed, and it will look as though he was the other end of what they saw in the video, that Klaus was having a shootout. Yeah, with Ove, because he's still in the bed, exactly, and you can't see that part of the blind. So it's kind of a beautiful setup, and then there's a beautiful segue at the end where uh, a kinder, gentler Roger... Uh, kisses his wife goodbye and presumably a few months in the future and they pan down and she's pregnant so he's mm-hmm. accepted his limitations guys. and he knows that she loves him and she wants and he wants a, presumably wants the baby too and then at work he thanks his assistant uh, during one of their exchanges when before he was almost a write-off like a like a temp who he would just trot on and walk off as if he didn't didn't exist and likewise he goes back to the first uh, sort of high-stakes um, CEO candidate who he kind of blew off and belittled. <laughs> yeah, completely just castrated yeah. in that opening and, interview. And he says, you mean nothing, you shouldn't have... His, his whole take on it was, you should have been cool. You should, you, I can't believe you, you shouldn't have applied. Yeah, you have to make it so <laughs> that you, you, you just kind of stumbled into it and you really don't want it. And he, he clearly the guy is, is is a good candidate because at the end Klaus gives him the job and I think he looks at the camera and says, you know, or not Klaus gives him the Roger gives him the job, and I think at the at the end uh, Roger just looks at the camera and says I'm I'm five foot six and I'm that's that's more than enough. Yeah, and we finally find out that the whole point of the movie is that uh, it's a short it's a short King Triumph story. You know, it's all it's for short guys. You feel short. You're a winner too. Yeah, I mean, it could have been like a—I suppose you could have done the whole thing with somebody who was it had any perceived self flaw. Um, but apparently, in in Scandinavia, this is a particularly big one, or at least uh, in the mind of this Scandinavian character. So what a ride! It's illegal man. to be too short over there. Yeah, this this, this the, thing was the, a ride. I I had a, uh, I think we kind of talked through most of it. I had a few favorite scenes, um, but. Um, yeah, I, I sort of want to go back to your sentence, to your, uh, to your question of in one sentence, what is this about? Yeah, because how do you really? I mean, you could t- you could try to tell somebody what this movie is about, but you don't want to give anything away, obviously. So I always find myself saying like, it's about a guy who's an art thief, but the, then he finds out so much more. Uh, so much more happens. You just have you just got to watch it. Is what I keep telling people. Nobody's really convinced, but. When somebody finally watches it, oh my god, they always come back and say like, "What the hell did I just watch?" Yeah, it's a, it kind of it's not so much it defies uh, labels, but it's it's more of a hybrid. It's I, I see it as like a thriller, intrigue, action, mystery drama. That's kind of the best way I can go about it uh, describing it. Does that yeah. sound accurate? It's genre bending for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and in the States, yeah, I, this kind of thing would have a hard time finding an audience, right? Unless you pigeonholed it and said, check out this action film. This, unfortunately, is a, a movie that they will make fewer and fewer of as time goes on. Dude, I, I didn't even hear of it until you mentioned it. This this movie won four um, Amanda Awards, which are the um, Norwegian Oscars, and, oh, okay. and it was nominated for a BAFTA, uh, a, a British... Uh, yeah. Uh, art, what is it? British Arts Films Television something? Association? Sure, yeah, that sounds right. Anyway, yep. <laughs> it was nominated for Best Foreign Film, and I'm like, so clearly people other than you and yeah. I thought this was a good movie. If you look at it, like Rotten Tomatoes, these other websites, IMDb, what have you, um, it always ranks at least 75 and up, and usually higher in terms of approval rating. Unlike anything else that I've seen, probably. it's uh, it, it, was, it still is, I believe, the highest grossing Norwegian film in history. Uh, it had a budget of about 15 million, uh, and made, uh, it had a budget of three, three million, three and a half million and made 15 million. Yeah. So huge deal. And I think it still, still has that record in Norway for the highest grossing film. Huge deal. It's massive. The, the cinematography is very good. Uh, it, it has more of like a crime thriller feel to it to me than like, for instance, they could have made the landscape of. I'm not saying that they they use some some on location shots around Norway that are that are quite lovely, but they really could have made that like another character if they wanted to. All the cinematography would have to be do a big wide sweeping shot of this, and mm-hmm. they didn't. They kept it to kind of claustrophobic, and I think the reason they did that was so that you felt, as the film went on, you kept feeling that, that Roger kept feeling like he's getting more and more and more and more closed in and cut off and cornered because he had everything mm-hmm. he, he literally had the threat from Klaus he had Diana possibly leaving him he had a lot of threatening to you know reveal their affair uh, anything could have happened at work um, in terms of being fired at a moment's notice and <laughs> lest we not forget the dude's like a high paid art thief and mm-hmm. that could have come in any time too so yeah the whole thing just sort of it doesn't expand; it contracts and becomes much and much more anxiety-provoking as it goes on. It was brilliant. It's yeah. There's a lot of stress in these guys' lives. I'd say <laughs> there's quite a few anxiety points. It, I, I like what you said about claustrophobic. I think it very much. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on Roger, and as it goes on, it's like walking in a tunnel where it's getting the ceiling is coming down and the walls are closing in and it just keeps getting worse. At the same time, Kloss is also under a tremendous amount of pressure. At the top of his field, he is on an undercover mission and there's so much money riding on what he's doing. And in my head, I'm assuming too that maybe his life is even on the line. That there is so much money involved here that if he can't pull this off, then he's finished too. Because he knows too much. That's an interesting, so I yeah, think, that's interesting take. I think there's a north amount of pressure for them to keep pushing and pushing. And every time they think they've hit a bottom, they go further. So things keep getting worse for Roger. And for Klaus, he keeps doing more ruthless, terrible things. It's all yeah. to get a job. It's interesting that you had that take on him. I, I had the take on him that he was kind of a company man, yes, mostly from having been uh, military. Uh, 
by the same token, I, I didn't even think of the complexity of what would happen to him if he failed. I just kind of saw him as the the suave, sophisticated, uh, basically wolf in sheep's clothing who, as the, as, the, mm-hmm. as the movie went on, just became the Terminator. Like, I thought there was nothing right. going to stop this guy. He's a psycho. Yeah. He, he puts on this facade of being a suave, attractive executive. But that's the veneer, and underneath it is a soulless killer who the military just broke down and transmutated into some kind of assassin. Yeah. And he knows nothing but murder and blind loyalty to whoever's in charge of him at that point. Who was, um, was it Patrick Bateman? Is he the American psycho? Yes. Yeah, it's like Patrick Bateman grew up in De- Denmark. Right. You know, that and is, then, and then I think, somehow got some, yeah, got some kind of a military training, and yeah, that's the kind of the and and to be fair, again to uh, um, uh, to Nikolai Kosterwaldo, we've been saying Jamie Lannister because it's easier. <laughs> he does a really remarkable job in this. I don't know if this had any bearing on him getting the. That, that gig in Game of Thrones. I wonder about that too, because I think it's right on the cusp yeah. of when he would have started doing. Yeah, the, this Game of the first series, the first uh, year was released in 2011 of Game of Thrones, and this okay. this movie was filmed presumably in 2010, released in in 2011. Right. So yeah, it was around that time, and his star was definitely rising. So oh, it was a blast, man. I I really enjoyed it. Thank you for bringing it to me. Of course, yeah. I I you know just. To try to sum it up in a sentence, I guess it's about double lives and the depraved lengths that people will go to preserve them. Nice. I I, Maybe. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And and I Added my own uh, my own thought about it was it was more of just a gut reaction to watching the end of the film. We it was you could you could breathe at the end because. Roger was alive. Roger was smiling. Uh, his loved one was alive. Not only alive, she was going to have their baby. And is it their baby? That's a question I want to ask. I. That's it's it's fair to to wonder. I just assumed yes. You gotta wonder. And frankly, even if it's not, I don't think uh, I don't think he cares anymore. They had right, their come to Jesus matters, moment. You know, as he says, the only thing that matters. His reputation. Right. And can you imagine if the kid winds up being uh, Jamie Lannister's, he'll be like eight feet tall and like golden god, and he'd be like, he could right. look around and tell people, I made that, so that'll make him happy. He's going to do fine. My my uh, final sort of summation would be just get a hold of your insecurities, man. <laughs> I had that note, too. I have a note here. It just says, what an insecure guy. Yeah, just get a hold of it. This is all a result of him not being able to communicate with his wife and feeling like he's too short yeah that that's how that's the root of all of the whole movie now to be fair we wouldn't have got this fantastic movie had he not been the insecure guy that's not an interesting story not not as much fun but that's that's your thought if that's my takeaway um i just don't think we're gonna see a lot of movies like this anymore as we move toward everything being a franchise or everything needing to be a sure box office bet we see fewer and fewer of these one-off i know man really creative strong screenplays yeah like for instance this worry about this this does not have a sequel nor should it ever have a sequel no but it is a book uh it was based on a book yeah i want to read that i know i saw that in your notes to see the differences yeah i the guy wrote some other books uh most famously a series starring a character for some reason named harry hole uh and he's a detective and i don't know if you remember the movie that had um 
Michael Fassbender, The Snowman, I believe. Yeah. It's about a serial killer. Yeah. That, is a, that is a Harry Hole story. So they've made other adaptations. Originally, they were going to have Scorsese direct that, and then obviously that didn't happen, and it became what it is now. Yeah, I think I heard that. I also remember seeing it and being slightly disappointed, mostly because of the, yeah. the star power that was in it. It's a it's a roundly mocked movie. It's it's fun yeah. to watch to laugh at, and there's yeah. a lot of podcasts just about that movie. And well, I'll why tell you because <laughs> I'll tell you something. After Fassbender did uh, Macbeth in 2015, I, the dude can do no wrong in my book. He can right. have as many flops as he wants, man. You watch that movie, and it's just perfection. He's fine. Yeah, I love watching. Yeah, I mean, didn't see Assassin's Creed, but I'm sure the fans love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I didn't play that game either, but uh, no. So. Well, thanks, man. That was awesome. You, you, listen, you have to come back and you have to bring more movies like this, will you? Oh yeah, man. I would love. Clock to Clock Strikes again. Midnight demands it, and the fans too. I'm sure. He, all two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to come back, man. Whenever uh, you know you can't find anyone else. Now, I would. Hey, listen. You're gonna be. You're. You're welcome as the flowers in May. Let me ask you something, just briefly. What do, What have you been up to for fun? I, I see you on uh, I see you on social media a lot. You make some pretty fun short films that are com- comedic <laughs> yeah, been, and interesting. I've been doing too many lately, but yeah, I did. So I moved down to the south east to pursue an acting career for real. You know, I was so inspired by our work together in Chapter Two <laughs> back there. Um, but no, yeah, it's something I wanted to do for a while, and I finally hated my day job enough in, in Michigan to come down here a couple years ago where there's a lot of acting work, and I've just been diving in. It's hard, uh, as people uh, may have told you. Sure. Um, it's hard to make it as an actor. Yeah. So well, I you am, know both I am, my sisters, man, are both professional actors. I understand this. Yeah. I, I'm the so, black sheep, you know, brother. I'm, I'm the loser. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's not. Your words, not mine. Um, so, yeah, I just, I've just been, you know, I'm a, I'm a grind. I'm a hustle down here. Uh, spending the last two years just getting the training, building up a reel, uh, getting representation, and it's starting to pay off. Uh, this is a big time of year. So if you want to see me, you can watch a show on Amazon Prime called The Underground Railroad. Uh, I am in episode three for about mm, 10 seconds. Okay. Uh, and I even had a line, so that was a big deal for me. Yeah. Shout out Barry Jenkins. That's right, man. Director of Moonlight, thank you for that gig. Hey, dude. Um, it, it, so counts. It, it, it counts. It counts. You know, SAG, SAG pays attention. Yes. That got me SAG eligibility. Done straight. Shout out to our friends at SAG. Um, so, yeah, that's me. So, hopefully, you'll be seeing a lot more of me soon. But um, if you want to check me out online, I am on Instagram at, at Dankton, D-A-N-K-T-O-N, where sometimes I post goofy stuff, uh, and sometimes I don't for a long time, like right now. But... <laughs> Check me out. Yeah, Dan, just for the listeners at home, and, and, and frankly for any, uh, I, I can't imagine, but who knows? You never know in this wild world we live in. Anybody looking for a, for a fantastic character actor out there who is uh, SAG eligible, check out my friend Dan. Right, Go maybe. to at Dankton. He is, and, and DM him. He's a, he's a, not only are you, brother, I mean this sincerely, not only are you a fantastic scene partner and actor, uh, you're just really easy to work with. You know what I mean? Oh. You're an e- you guys can't see this, but I'm blushing right now. There's- <laughs> no, you are. You're easy to work with. One of the most fun things about working with other actors who are like you is that they make, like you made me better when we did that play. Uh, likewise. Brother. Yeah, and it was sort of For just sure. that support, that mutual support and ease of. Another cool thing was, 
and maybe we can get our director Deb. I don't know if she's listening or not, but you take uh, no, that wasn't Deb. That was Paul. Deb was in it. That was Paul. Deb and Paul are both excellent directors that we know in the in the community scene up in Detroit. But no, you took direction and uh, and you know tried different things. Yeah, I mean that was a big deal. That was a, I hadn't done it in a long time, so I was there to learn from you yeah, guys. Yeah, you were respectful really about it, and it was really cool. So yeah, check out my friend Dan. Uh, I loved having you here, man. It's been a pleasure, and I uh, can't wait to get you back. And I can't wait to hear the next episode in two years. So. <laughs> Keep That's up. about right. Thanks, oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to Clock Strikes Midnight. For more information or to suggest topics, find me on Twitter at Finn313. The show's music was written by Kevin McLeod and can be found on Incompetech.com. Many thanks to my guests who give freely of their time, and thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>